Broadcasting live from... Shh. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Gareth Strother. <laughs> God. So creepy, and that's exactly what I said. That would be bad podcasting to <laughs> trick people <laughs> by whispering. I was... Al- I was- already planning on doing this bit Seamus and then you were like oh that would be such bad podcasting <laughs> well, I was like I better do it anyway yeah yeah I think it's worth it was worth it it would have been bad podcasting if I started like that because then people would have turned it up and then we would have destroyed their speakers or ears but I think you y- you did it perfectly real quick Seamus do you want me to give you a clean one just in case you decide it's not working in the edit oh yeah sure well, yeah why not okay and I'm Garrett Strother so there you go. If you just cut that if you don't need it and <laughs> pop it in if you do. Oh, that was that was a beautiful canned... Oh, all right, lovely. Seamus is just like putting that one in the... Fi- I'm going to drop that <laughs> films. I'm going to... Oh, yeah, that's going to be in the background of all my future projects. It's going to be my slusho. My Kelvin <laughs> gas station. Uh, That's from Super 8, the, the gas station, right? Or is that in... That's in, in like all too? of them. Yeah, it's in Cloverfield okay. and Super 8, and I think... Star Trek. <laughs> because Star Trek, it's the USS Kelvin. I knew Kelvin was like a term in it. I didn't know it was always the gas station. Oh, well, I know it is in Cloverfield and in Super 8. I assumed it was in... I didn't see his Star Trek, but... Star Trek's pretty good. Um, The second one is not so good, but the first one, I like... It's like Star Wars's take on Star Trek in a lot of ways. It's like, what if Star Trek was action... <laughs> Sure, yeah. That's probably why I didn't like that show when I tried it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I like Star Wars. I got to get both sides of this, you know, opinion thing. And then I watched an episode and I was like, this is boring. I'm out of here. That's the thing. I I think if I went in, especially to like Next Generation, with the mindset of like, this is not Star Wars. This is is like an intellectual exercise. This is not space action. I think I'd enjoy it a lot more. Oh, dude, I was never given it a shot. I went to like a like pilot episode, black and white, like skinny Shatner episode <laughs> of Star Trek. I didn't even give myself a chance to like it, man. I I just, ugh. Well, check out the Abrams Star Trek. Yes. I'll loan you the Blu-ray when I see you again. Yes, please want. do. But we're talking about a quiet place today, which is which is why we're being so so goofy with our with our intro here. You know, real goofy flick that quiet place. <laughs> Such a, like, there's so many shenanigans in A Quiet Place, you know? Oh, totally. So many, you know, just, re- especially in that intro, too. Oh, we'll get we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> uh, but before we talk the, the rip-roar and good time that is John Krasinski's A Quiet Place, we got some news to get into, including something that I am very sad about, and, you know, Seamus actually brought one of his most famous movies up recently, Charles Grodin died at the age of 88, probably best known for his roles in Midnight Run and the Beethoven franchise. Yeah, literally the only movies I know him from, but I mean, he was iconic. He was fantastic, especially, like you said, I brought up Midnight Run, uh, you know, a couple months ago. Absolutely amazing actor, just like full of the most perfect comedic timing I've seen in anybody. And it's a shame to see him go, but he lived a full life, and he, he left behind some incredible, incredible roles. I mean, he has been one of my favorite actors since I was a little kid. I Because I tweeted this out, I don't know if you saw it, Seamus, but the 
first time I remember crying at a movie is from his introductory scene in Heart and Souls. I was probably eight, I would guess. My God. And since then, like, I mean, also back then I'd seen him in Great Muppet Caper, of course. The classic. Of course. He's so good in that movie, too. He's, like, really exceptional in that role. Also, of course, uh, one of my favorites, Dave, is one of, is another one of my favorite movies. I think that movie's really, really underrated. Charles Grodin is an underrated actor in a wealth of underrated films, I think. I completely agree with that, man. I think that, I don't know, it should be more, people should be more aware of how incredible Charles Grodin really was. But, I mean, like you said, full life, I'm glad that, you know, he got to live so long. I understand that. I, I, I kind of was aware of this, but reading a lot more about it in his obits and stuff, that I guess he was a pretty good playwright as well, and that he took like 10 years off from acting in the 90s to just write plays and write books. Oh, I had no idea. And he he wrote a role, uh, a two, he wrote a two-man play for him and Richard Kind when he barely knew Richard Kind and just <laughs> called Richard Kind. He was like, hey, Richard Kind, will you be in my play with me? Oh my god, that is awesome. A pretty stellar guy. Also, something that I completely discovered after his passing is an amazing hilarious Letterman guest. You should go watch his Letterman spots, Seamus. Oh, absolutely. I like I was looking him up too when when I saw this piece of news and that was a lot of what I was seeing was these old clips. I didn't click on any of them cuz I thought it was just like, oh, remembering him through his, you know, casual old interviews, but I will have to absolutely go check those out. No, he's like a hostile witness. It's incredible. <laughs> oh my goodness. I I cannot wait. But coming up next in more mainstream news, we've got just a whole bunch more in Knives Out, two cast members dropping. Like we said, between the time we recorded last week and the time the episode was published, Catherine Hahn was added to the cast, so we called that somebody yeah. was going to get dropped in there before we had time to talk about it. Uh, and additionally, Leslie Odom Jr. and Kate Hudson. So, just a fantastic cast, joining the likes of, obviously, Daniel Craig, Dave Batista, Janelle Monet, and Ed Norton. Good, good God! I, I'm, I don't even feel like I can guess about like this. This cast is just stacking up to the original one, one, one piece at a time. And I'm gonna go ahead and call it that. There's gonna be at least two more pieces of casting news before we record again. I think. Well, Seamus. It's going to be your chance to guess, because we're introducing a new irregular segment, Podcasting Call. Ooh, I love that title of the segment, Garrett. Goodness gracious. Oh, I wonder who came up with it. Ooh, I wonder who. Goodness, goodness. So, Seamus, the point of Podcasting Call is that, you know, we've got these movies from time to time that just keep dropping casting news. We had The Batman a few months ago. We have Knives Out 2 and something that we're going to talk about in a minute. Indiana Jones 5, that are just kind of relentlessly dropping casting news on us. So I am going to ask you, and then I'm going to give my picks for two cast members that you think are going to join Knives Out 2. Not who you want to see, but who, like, your best guess. Honestly, there's so many younger people, I feel like. I guess compared to the original, the cast of the original Knives Out, there were so many older stars that were just, like kind of blowing so many people out of the water. And 
I keep seeing all these, you know, we got all these MCU people in here. Catherine Hahn. We got Dave Batista, you know, the big one himself. Ed Norton is in there too. And I think I I feel like some people in the DC side of the universe might be coming through and I want to see those older stars kind of kind of coming out to shine and I I'd like to see like a like a Michael Keaton maybe maybe a, a Danny DeVito so some more like charactery actors that can just like really stir up the pot I think Danny DeVito's a really good call. I you, think you that's think? definitely one that I could see pop up. Yeah, man. That would just be the final... I mean, I, I say it every time we see new people here, the final nail in the coffin for how incredible this movie is going to be. But, you know, a man can dream. I, I love Danny DeVito, and I, I'd like to see him for sure. What, what, what do you have for, for this one, Garrett? Well, right now I'm seeing we've got a lot of, like, middle-aged people in this in this cast i'd say like ranging from their late 30s to like their late 50s i'd say and so i'm kind of thinking about are we are we gonna round out this cast and i've got i've got an older pick and i've got a younger pick okay for who i'm guessing we might see pop up and initially i went i almost went for like some people that ron johnson have worked with before but like an Adam Driver or somebody, which mm. I still think is possible. But I decided for my two official picks, I'm going to go with people that I don't think Ryan Johnson's worked with before, but I think are very much in the vein of like the tone of the cast that they've established so far. So for my older pick, I'm thinking Danny Glover. Ooh, that's that's nice. And for my younger pick, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Jeez, man, you picked two pretty great choices. I would love to see either of them show up in there. I also one of the other ones one of one of the ones who was on my short list was Elle Fanning. Oh yeah, totally. Because I think she's got this like she's like our age, but I think she has this like mystique of like I ah uh, yes, I'm like very glamorous and like kind of ageless and just mm. like and I think she'd fit that that like Grecian setting that they're going for. Like I could see her as like a young heiress. Sure, yeah. Wait, Ryan Johnson did uh, Looper too, right? Yes, he did. What if we sprinkle in a little Joseph Gordon-Levitt in there, make him like a Watson type? I can well, see him. Well, technically, he's in Knives Out 1, sir. Wait, what? Am I totally tripping? You are, in fact, totally tripping, Seamus, because... Oh, no. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Ryan Johnson go way back. I believe he's been in pretty much everything Ryan Johnson's ever made, including The Last Jedi. He's got small cameos, one in... Knives Out, because that's what I mentioned first. He is the detective on TV that Marta's sister is watching. What? You oh. don't even see him. You just hear him. Oh, dude, I am a fool. I didn't, I didn't know the behind the scenes. And he's also the alien that tells on Rose and Finn when they park illegally on Canabite. <laughs> really? He's the alien that goes against the cops. Oh, he, wow. Okay. Not bad. That's very good acting. So subtle, I barely realized he was there. Also, because you actually <laughs> mentioned Looper, uh, well, another person who was on my list was uh, Emily Blunt. Oh, who, absolutely. That, she was on my short list. Damn. There, the, honestly, there's so many interesting ideas to plug in to this cast that could just like express and like accentuate every other awesome part of this cast, but I'm sure... There's there's going to be, like, the real twist is going to be when the actual casting news is better than our guesses. Oh, I mean, there are so many great actors, like you said, that would fit so well, and I would love to see in that sandbox of the murder mystery. So, I mean, 
that's not to say I'll be disappointed when they announce people that aren't our picks, but I think it's just a fun little game for us to play, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think I think this is a lot of fun. But I mentioned before that we had Indiana Jones 5 casting news, and there were two more actors added to the cast this week, joining Phoebe Waller-Bridge and, of course, the man himself, Harrison Ford, and that is Boyd Holbrook, who I only knew from Logan. He's the guy with the, the robot arm in Logan. I don't mm. know that act, the, the character's name. I believe it was Donald. Donald, okay. And Shin and Seanette Renee Wilson, who is not an actor I have ever seen in anything before. I looked her up. It looks like she's in good stuff that I've heard is good, which is kind of <laughs> what you were saying before the show about Boyd Holbrook. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I looked her up, too, and I, I couldn't really recognize anything. But I like Boyd Holbrook and Logan, like you said. I think maybe make him a, a snotty villain for Indy to battle against. I think that could be some fun. Yeah, he's he's got real villain vibes, I think. Like I like I just can't see him not being the villain in this movie. Like it it's it was Nazis and then it was Russians and like what could we be now for this guy to like be just like the worst military guy? Because we're going to be around 1970, I think if they do the full time jump from Crystal Skull. My goodness. So I mean, we could be looking at some kind of Vietnam situation is going on. Boyd right Holbrook now. is the head of the Viet Cong, Garrett. <laughs> I don't mean necessarily like I was thinking more like an apocalypse now situation. Oh, 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 yeah, I can see that. Um, maybe he's yeah, like. I mean, like the early seventies, late sixties were a very tumultuous time in general. Yeah. So I mean, you've got a lot going on domestically. Um, I'm uh, I. Correct me if I'm completely wrong on this, but I also think Seanette Renee Wilson will be, I'm, I'm assuming from how prominently she was announced, she'll be a lead character. And I think that's the first black, like, prominent character in an Indiana Jones film. Uh, I think there's, like, the ship captain in Raiders, but, yeah, like, there's that's Katanka. it, I think. Yeah, Katanka. Katanka. I yeah. don't think there's... Who... Yeah. I, what I was going to say about Katanka is that he's played by George Harris, who is also Kingsley Shacklebolt from the Harry Potter series. Oh my God. Yeah, he is. That is super weird. Oh my goodness. I never, I never made that connection. Yeah. Well, what I, what I was going to say is the fact that there was also, I mean, not that having a black character necessarily means that there is going to be a racial element other than the fact that they're black, but the late, 60s were still very much a tumultuous time for African Americans. Yeah, truly. I mean, so I, I mean, I have no idea what the angle of this new Indiana Jones is going to be. There's not really a a fun global conflict. It's weird calling World War II or the Cold War fun, but there's not really a like romanticized. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want to say flashy either. I guess romanticized is is a better way to say that. Because there's such a, I mean, especially World War II. The part of the reason Indy Four has a little bit trouble with it with its startup is the cold war is not as romanticized as world war two. It doesn't have that same pulpy adventure quality to it. And so I, w I would love to see it if they maybe didn't set it against a conflict, you know, mm. if the bad, the bad guys could be private people, like a private firm, they could be a, a weird cult. They could be, you know, whatever, like, I mean, yeah, oh, you've got cults going on in the seventies. That's, 
We've got Colts already in the. We've got Colts in the indie verse already, anyway. So it's not like magic is real in Indiana Jones. So there could be That's, anything, yeah. you know. I meant more like like crazy hippie cults more than like the occult. Oh sure, I guess that makes sense too. It could be. Yeah, definitely. You know, there there could be a lot of weird hippie angles with trying to acquire artifacts to do weird rituals. I was also going mean, to pitch, like, Boyd Holbrook could be, like, maybe the CIA or, like, the government is turning on Indy after all of his adventures. And because he knows too much about, you know, literally everything that is powerful to the U.S. government. And of maybe all the that's things we've talked it. about. The, of all the things we've talked about, that's, like, literally the only one that sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that could be a lot of fun. Indy, Indiana Jones turns into an elderly fugitive, but he's like, I know how the Ark of the Covenant works, so I'm good. I didn't kill my wife. Yeah, there you we go. the samples. <laughs> oh, God, I love that movie so much. Up next, we have some absolutely flooring news that I just learned about. Henry Cavill is going to star in a Highlander reboot from Chad Stahelski, who is the director of all three John Wick movies, if I'm correct. And did he did he do Atomic Blonde, or is it just he produced Atomic Blonde? Ooh, I think that might have just been produced by him. Okay. I mean, regardless, clearly he has a very tactical, very exact approach to action combat. Yes, he does. And Which that'll be an interesting thing to see brought to Highlander, I think. Yeah, I like I I might have honestly done Highlander as a rec center at some point in this run of shows. I I love that movie so much, and it is kind of a <laughs> the combat in that movie is a little wonky, except for like a couple very epic sword fights. But there, it's to to think about that kind of like super up close and brutal combat that we see in like the john wick movies in something like highlander i i'm just incredibly pumped i'm you want henry cavill to shove a pencil through a guy's ear seamus is that what you're saying i kind yeah sure why not i think you know henry cavill's really leaning into like the long-haired sword fighter thing right now and (laughs) like sure like i'll give it to him he can he can get it sure do you think he's going to put on, like, a super weird accent for this movie? Or wait, is it a movie or oh, is it I a show? Because so. I know Highlander was a series as well, like a TV series. I, th- I, believe it's a, I believe it's a new Highlander franchise, is the idea. Now, whether or not it'll be a franchise, that remains to be seen. But, I mean, we saw what happened with Mortal Kombat. Yeah, jeez, Louise. But you know, this is a this is a reboot of, a, of an 80s classic. I mean, I hope they... I doubt they're going to keep the rock opera queen angle of everything, but I, I, I'm i sure they're going to put in some homage to that. Um, I mean, as far as I know, all the actors... Yeah, between Christopher Lambert and Clancy Brown, I would love to see a little original casting cameo in this reboot. But maybe that's just because I think Clancy Brown is like the, the best character actor ever. He's fantastic. He really is. You know, I guess it's so versatile, which like oh, somebody yeah. with such a distinctive voice and look you wouldn't think would be so versatile. Oh man. Well, I, I can't wait for this. I'm sure it's gonna be absolutely bizarre. I wanna go rewatch that director's cut of Highlander again right now. I mean, I love Henry Cavill. I think he should be like the biggest movie star, and 
It's a sh- he, everything should work for him and just doesn't. Like he really got sandbagged by how lackluster his Superman is because it's not his fault. I think he's a good Superman. Yeah, I but, I know what you mean. I mean, Man from Uncle, he is so charming and fun. Like he's American James Bond in that movie, and I've liked him in literally everything I've ever seen him in because I think he is good in those Justice League movies that I don't like. But <laughs> same with uh same with Mission Impossible Six. Like, what a great guy to add to that franchise. He's so good, he's so charming. I wanna see him I wanna see this be his his ticket, man. If if the Highlander reboot is how Henry Cavill finally launches into the stratosphere where he belongs, then I will I will die happy, Garrett. You know what probably isn't gonna launch any careers though, Seamus? <laughs> Tell me, Garrett. The new G.I. Joe Origins Snake Eyes trailer, which, I mean, Henry Golding, again, I think he's great, I think he's he's a charming young man, but what'd you think of this less than a minute long trailer, Seamus? I thought that this is a terrible time to try to do a ninja movie, like a East Asian-influenced martial arts ninja movie when Shang-Chi is gonna be, like, the coolest thing on the planet, and this is a G.I. Joe origin movie, you know? Like, oh my goodness. To be fair, this is beating Shang-Chi by a couple months to theaters, so that, it, it does have that going for it. Oh, maybe, maybe it'll sneak in there, but is it connected to, like, the the Dwayne Johnson G.I. Joe movies? Is this a new thing? First of all, I am horrified that you classified those as the Dwayne Johnson <laughs> I've, Joe I've never seen that you them. Would do Channing Tatum like that. <laughs> I didn't even know who is Channing Tatum in that. Is he Joe? He's he... <laughs> the main. He's Duke. He's the main guy, and then he's in the second one for three minutes, and then they're like, oh, "This no. is a different movie now. This isn't really like because um whatever the second one was called. What was it? Rise of Cobra. First one's Rise of Cobra. Oh, I'm such the a fool. second one. Oh no. What is it called, Seamus? Cobra's Revenge. <laughs> Wait, what's the it's what's called, the main guy in Cobra called? It's called Retaliation. Oh right, yeah. Jeez. I didn't see either and, of them, Garrett. Well, the first one is the only one I saw, and it's not very good, but <laughs> it has a glorious Brendan Fraser cameo, so oh, it can't oh. all be bad. Well, that is honestly the best sell for the G.I. <laughs> Joe movie I've ever heard. So um, I started this trailer assuming it was related to those movies, and very quickly discovered it is not because Snake Eyes talks in this one. Oh, and um, this is it is. I mean, I'm assuming he'll take his vow of silence at some point during this movie, and also it's directly contradicting his backstory from those movies. I got from they're, the... they're trying to do an Avengers with G.I. Joe, aren't they? I mean, yeah, that's pretty... I mean, G.I. Joe Origins, they're going to do two or three G.I. Joe Origins movies and then do a G.I. Joe movie team-up, which by which I mean they're going to make this movie and then they're going to crap out a rushed G.I. Joe team-up movie that nobody likes. Yeah. And then that'll probably be the end of this franchise, I would guess. Oh, boy. Is there even anybody you would want to see another origin story? Like, who else is there? Um... Snake Eyes is the only cool one. That's what I was going to say. Is there, like, nobody else is worth talking about? Like, I'm assuming Storm Shadow will be in this movie, right? I guess so. Like, they'll probably sprinkle some of those bigger guys in. I mean, I was not the biggest G.I. Joe fan as a kid anyway. Like, even before those, the Steven Summers movie. Who, you know, director of The Mummy, which is why Brendan Fraser's in there. 
Is it a um, mummy joke? Well, it's maybe set in the same universe as the mummy. I remember Steven what? Summers saying that. That is it doesn't absolutely it doesn't hilarious. Matter. That doesn't matter, but that's very funny. And if I ever watch them, that will be my headcanon. The only two I can think of off the top of my head who I even remember, like G.I. Joe's whose like characteristics I remember are Ripcord and the Cobra Commander. Which Cobra Commander origin movie sounds actually kinda tight. If they did that correctly. That would be maybe pretty cool. Does but Am I crazy or does the Cobra Commander sound like Skeletor? Oh, one hundred percent. It's just, oh, okay, he's cool. an eighties he is an eighties cartoon villain. <laughs> yeah. They all are the same. Just imagine a gritty origin of the Cobra Commander, but he's still it's like, I'll get you, Joe. Yeah. Well, that's the problem I'm having with with the, that's wrong with those movies, and that is the problem with this trailer. Is that you mentioned gritty reboot? And I'm like, it's GI Joe. Guys. <laughs> yeah. I want it to be fun. That being said, some of the action sequences in this look kind of cool. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's gonna have some some cool action, some fun fights. Like you said, he's probably gonna do that vow of silence, like as the stinger at the very end, and it'll be fun referencey. But there's they're trying to make a money factory franchise, and it's just not going to happen with G.I. Joe Origins, I think. Well, Seamus, sometime you and I are going to watch G.I. Joe, because that movie is bizarre. And <laughs> there's so much mummy crossover that, like, I just I just want to watch it with you and, like, get your thoughts. Honestly, okay, I know this is my fix for everything. <laughs> crossover G.I. Joe with Fast and the Furious. Like, I'm super serious about that. I mean, you'd have to do a little tweaking with Dwayne Johnson, I, but, like, that's... I mean, you don't have to abandon... You don't. I mean, you can completely abandon. You can completely abandon those old movies. Like, just bring G.I. Joe into the Fast and Furious Oh, universe. just... Sure, yeah, just make the Fast and the Furious crew, like, part of the G.I. Joe. Like, sure, that's totally fine. Some of them adopt, like, the famous characters, maybe. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening. I mean... They basically have a lot of the characteristics of the G.I. Joe unit anyway. Yeah, sure. Got Basically what I'm saying is put Snake Eyes and Cobra Commander in Fast and the Furious and then just leave the rest of it. Hey man, they're doing spin-off movies in that franchise now. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get like two characters just plucked out. Yeah, sure. G.I. Joe it up. Put him in the army. Make it make it a comedy. It'll be great. But I mean this movie's coming out in July. I have very interest I have very little interest in seeing it. But, you know, it could be good. Anything can be good. I'll be super happy if it's good. But, I mean, my faith is low on this one. I like Henry Golding. I hope it doesn't kill his career, you know. Yeah, here's here's hoping. But, God, fingers crossed it's like a breakout, awesome first movie to the new Marvel f- caliber franchise that we've been waiting for. How, how long do you think it's going to take him in this movie to get his mask? Like, they show it in the trailer... But I feel like that's maybe going to be all the way at the end of the movie. Yeah, I I was probably going to say the same thing. They're going to really try to, you know, it's a Snake Eyes origin movie. They're really going to try to stretch out his full transition into the Snake Eyes that they're basing it off of. So I think, I feel like this is going to have a lot of uh, Mortal Kombat-esque problems where it's just like, yes, I get the references, but I would like to see, like, cool things with the things that you've introduced that I know you're just stringing yeah. along for a sequel. Finishing up about the mask, definitely Henry Golding is too pretty to leave behind it for too much of the movie. Oh, definitely. 
<laughs> yeah, that's in his contract. He needs that FaceTime on screen. But I looked up the cast just now, and I thought I saw Scarlet in the trailer because I saw like a flash of red hair that looked like really red. And I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, so maybe they are doing other Joes in this movie. And it's actually Samara Weaving is going to be Scarlet. Oh, I didn't know that. No kidding. That's That's cool. And they've also got... Storm Shadow and Baroness in here. So we're getting, you know, if they did two G.I. Joe origin movies, you could get the full crew in here yeah, pretty quick. I, I think so. If, the, if they're cutting those corners, if there's if they're really throwing them in there, unless it's, yeah, even if it is just like an after credits stinger thing, I bet they could, they could make that work. Because that's part of the problem with origin movies is even though like the pleasure of the team up movie is seeing all of these different characters you know interact for the first time, a lot of the time the problem you run into is you need to feel invested in the journey the character's going on in the first movie, and in order to do that, you need to have them go on a journey with characters you care about. So I like the idea of, like, if Scarlet and Snake Eyes have a relationship, and then maybe you do, like, Duke and Cobra Commander are, like, I don't know what their backstory is in the cartoon or whatever, but maybe they know each other from before, kind of like they do in the in the Stephen Summers G.I. Joe, actually. you could I could see those two coming together then and being like, okay, so we have characters that we have established relationships with, at least. Sure. I, I, it's such a like clean slate, I feel like. They could really do a lot of interesting stuff like that. And if they pull it off well, it'll, it'll really hit. But I'm, I have, like I said, having it be in proximity to Shang-Chi and like, being the start of a new franchise that people might already feel exhausted on after maybe one or two movies it it might be not long for this for this world i also suspect that mortal kombat tanking is not going to help this movie that mortal kombat was not well received it was not well attended and i don't like i don't think all martial arts blockbusters are the same obviously but i think general audiences are going to be like all martial arts blockbusters are the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like hopefully this will leave Mortal Kombat in the dust a little bit. And yeah, if it's if it's kind of on the same level, I think it's just going to people are going to be even more fizzled out for any sequels. They're going to try to shoehorn in for those two movies. We probably won't see this. Um, we probably oh, won't review it for the show. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if we do review this for the show, it'll be because it is somehow become the most hyped event of the summer but i doubt yeah it. i mean it has to get good reviews basically because yeah. I, we've got a we've got a pretty packed summer coming up so the fact that i didn't even know this was in production until the trailer happened so. yeah that that's why it kind of blows my mind to think about it dropping before shang chi in the summer so not not the best but you know what i am excited to talk about Seamus? what's that garrett a quiet place Honestly, me too. I think let's I think let's jump into it. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about the 2018 movie A Quiet Place, which I had not seen since I saw it in the movie theater. I think that's the same for you, right, Seamus? Yeah, that is that's right. It was a very different experience, if I'm being honest. But I I still really like this movie, whether I'm seeing it on my couch or at a theater, so I, I'm excited to talk about this one. Obviously, we're doing this to prep for A Quiet Place Part 2, which comes out the week after that this episode drops, but we're not going to be talking Quiet Place Part 2 the week it comes out in theaters. We're going to be talking about it in a month and a half when it drops on Paramount Plus to stream and so we'll be covering it then, so come, make sure you come back for that if you're excited to see Quiet Place Part 2. But we thought, 
you know, for all you folks out there that are going to see A Quiet Place this weekend or, you know, whenever you're listening to this, we thought we'd drop this here for you. Yeah. Let's let's talk, Garrett. What what are your thoughts on a, the original John Krasinski's A Quiet Place? You know, I was expecting this movie to have significantly diminishing returns for me this time around because I I went to see it in the theater and was pretty impressed by it. Like really I left jazzed. I thought it was a really smart use of it it wasn't just a gimmick film that it really did execute its premise well and have good solid storytelling at its center and going in this time I was like I bet you I'm not going to be as wowed by it but I was still pretty impressed with it like I really still enjoyed it yeah I kind of had a similar mentality going in um not really knowing how it because my full memory of seeing it in the theater was being like completely immersed in just the crippling silence that was in this crowd of people just scared to even move an inch. And, you know, I thought the more casual viewing of it just in my living room, kind of, you know, talking about it as it happens and, you know, seeing it in the more laid back space, I thought it might really drop, but it was still such a good movie. Like you said, it could have been such a, a gimmick film, but I'm, I am truly impressed by how they did it all. I rewatched this with my parents who had not seen it before, so I still got, you know, that tension from them, at least, which I think helps. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, having only seen it in the theaters the one time, I did forget a lot of, like, the jump scares and the some of the more startling moments. Obviously, I remembered a few key, terrible, stabby moments that I could never not think about associated <laughs> with this movie. But, you know, I just being able to kind of get into that tension myself a little bit again, it, it it was just a really good time. Yeah, I definitely had more than most films, I think I had very specific images from this movie that have stayed with me. Like, I remembered certain plot points, but there were things, I mean, there were big plot points I had forgotten, but, and I won't get into them now because of spoiler reasons, but there are several key images that were like frozen in my brain from this movie and I think part of that is because so much of this storytelling is relying exclusively on visuals god yeah I was marveling this time around just being able to kind of think out loud watching this movie a lot of what I was going back to was just how expressive Emily Blunt and John Krasinski are in this film and how like for him directing himself in all of these scenes, Krasinski is like the most heartbreaking man to ever see, you know, crinkle his upper brow. It's just so well done. And I, I truly don't know what else to say besides I'm impressed by I, how how they were able to get this incredible story across with like maybe a hundred words max spoken yeah. out loud. It's 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 impressive as hell. I think that their chemistry definitely helps this too. the fact that they are actually married in real life and have mm. have this deep, like physical intimacy that you can pick up on. And both of them are very facially expressive actors to begin with. I think like, I mean, obviously John Krasinski is most famous for the little faces he makes <laughs> the little Krasinski beep and both the kids, I think, are fantastic in this movie, too. You've got Millicent Simmons, who's actually deaf, and she's terrific, I think. Yeah, and absolutely. No Sorry, you go ahead. Say it again. No, absolutely. She she does a fantastic job in this film. And you've also got Noah Jupe, 
who I did not realize until rewatching is the same little kid from Ford versus Ferrari. Oh no! Kidding. I think is also spectacular. He's adorable. Yeah, and in in this film, I it, the uh, anxieties that he expresses after the absolutely crushing opening scene of this movie that we joked about before, I I think he did a fantastic job. See, I mean, I think that this movie definitely held up for me on a second viewing. The storytelling is so unconventional. I think it's really impressive that they had to find such different ways to convey things than than films usually are tasked with, but all the resourcefulness and conventional like kind of horror setup payoff stuff that you're used to getting from this kind of horror thriller. And I, w- I do want to mention, you know, we talked about the visuals and how much this movie relies on visuals and, and the non-verbal performances, but at the same time, this movie, the sound design's so much more important than in a normal movie. Oh, 100%. I mean, there are these transitions that you experience between, like, roaring noise and dead silence that, like, the smallest choice in the sound design would just add worlds to what you were experiencing on screen. It's 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 dynamite. It's very impressive. Yeah, they make sound so important. Like, you're so aware of it. That's like and the only thing I could be aware of the entire time I was watching this movie again, really. Yeah, I really impressive. I'd love to watch this movie with like a really good pair of headphones. Ooh, that would be I think that will probably be the only real way to experience this movie in its like purest form again is like a pair of really nice noise canceling headphones. I'd love to see this movie also in Dolby with like a, a crowd. I I've just been I know this is like the third week in a row I've mentioned how much I would love to go watch a movie with a crowd and feel the tension and feel the excitement and everything. Ooh, that's honestly one of the things that's getting me closer to wanting to see A Quiet Place 2 when it comes out in theaters, too. I mean, that like it, that was like a, an electric feeling in the air when I saw that first one in theaters of just like, I could tell every single person in the theater was clenching their butt cheeks at the same time just like so (laughs) desperate to not move a muscle besides the one guy who had his like flashing text alert on his iphone out the whole time which was a strange choice but we had a guy in our theater right down the aisle from us that was making so much noise with his popcorn and coughing (laughs) and blowing his nose oh wrong movie pal too casual no kidding. Yeah. Oh, I mean, God. I I definitely saw it late in its in its run. I just was so busy with with school. It took me a long time to get out to the theater to see it. But I'm really glad I went to see it in the theater. And you know, it's weird times right now with what people are comfortable doing and everything. But if you have the opportunity to see this movie in a theater, I I recommend it. I think it's it's really fun to see with an audience. Absolutely. Well. Let's talk about that opening, I guess. You know, we've danced around it enough. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, jeez. That's... Just just take the batteries. I don't know. Like, wh- what are they doing? They let that... They also fully walked out of that store without that four-year-old boy behind them. It was very... A lot of bad it's, choices. It's very strange. I mean, clearly this is a 
trip they make often, I'd say. It seems to me like they have an established path of where they're going, and they have the sand down already and everything. Right, right. But, yeah, I, I it does give me anxiety that they just leave that four-year-old in that <laughs> Oh, God. When he clearly is, you know, not able to make choices about what is appropriate in terms of what is the noisy enough or not, because he's, you know, four- yeah, you can't. Re- you could only assume he's never really seen one of those monster things, and he doesn't really understand how dangerous it is. I don't know. Also, what was Krasinski gonna do if he caught up to that boy a second sooner? Also, get I, pancaked by a monster? I think the idea was more that like he would drop the rocket and he would carry the boy away. I guess that makes sense. I don't know. Those those mon- the monsters in this movie are incredible and they are so fast. I just never really I never picked up on that being an option. Those things were coming in like a freight train. This this scene is the thing that I was like my dad had asked me multiple times like you think I could handle that movie and he does not like children in peril. And this movie literally starts oh with a 4-year-old getting got. I mean, and so it's the beginning, middle, I, I mean, and end of okay. this movie is children in peril. Yeah, he, he, he. I think he was very tense for most of this movie, but I think you know, for the most part, he, he. I think, I think it was better for him than he thought it was going to be. But the thing is, the roughest part's that opening. Yeah, because oh, you man. just know what's coming. Uh, well, well, in reality, like I remember seeing it for the first time you really don't understand what's coming you you like ju- you just see them like drop everything and go wide-eyed and oh god it's it's uh, it's something man i yeah just o- overall like in terms of bummer and openings like this one and up is just like two hardcore deaths that you don't see you know in the first 5 minutes of a usual movie well the kid that plays the the child that dies at the opening of this movie also plays one of Hawkeye's kids at no! the beginning of Endgame. Oh no! This kid can't catch a break. He just gets all these famous deaths. Jeez. Because he's got such a cute little boy face, Seamus. You just can't help it. <laughs> The studios are like, who? Which one of these small children will make audiences feel the worst? Hmm. <laughs> this kid's got it. And my parents were like, "Oh, that's awful." When I realized that, but at the same time, it's like he, as a as a child, is not really experiencing anything traumatic in in acting because all, all he has to do for both of those roles is stand there, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's probably as oblivious to the filming of that movie as he was to the monsters in the story. He's just like, yeah, I guess I'm just walking on the sand now. Sure. I'm a kid. This is, just, I'm just like following what the adults say. Uh, but he's, I mean, he's really cute and yeah, it's, it definitely is really good at establishing the emotional stakes of the film. I'm curious in number two, because I think they're, they're going to have flashbacks to the, like earlier in the quiet place world are they gonna recast the kid are they gonna like try to make him just look a little younger Ooh, that's a good question oh that's a good question i i would imagine they would probably recast him as somebody younger i know it was only like 84 days i think into the whole alien invasion that that kid gets destroyed but i was just gonna say you know it it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they just got like a three-year-old instead of a four-year-old and just called it a day 
no, yeah, I think it'd be fine. I that is one that is one of the images though that is definitely burned in my mind is him just standing there with the rocket toy. Oh God, yeah. Oh, the the I a shout out again to Krasinski's just like his eye work in this movie. Whenever he hits that like that like deer in the headlights panic wide eyes is like I feel panicked when I see that. You know, it's it's so it's so good. Yeah, it's a it's a really good performance. It's a really well edited and shot sequence. And here, let me let me. I guess here's a way to jump around. I guess here's a way to jump around. One of the other images that I have burned in my mind is Krasinski running out of a barn with a shotgun with fireworks going off behind him. Yeah, man, that that is pretty. That's like a screen. That's a uh, snapshot right there. That's I I love that. It almost had a Stranger Things vibe to me seeing that shot a second time around, just because of the whole Fourth of July stuff in that third season. But man, is it he he really is a badass in this movie, isn't he? Just like with the beard and everything, just all of his like super selfless dad heroism. But that's the thing I really like about this movie, and it actually shares some DNA in a way with Mitchell's versus the machines, is that they really feel to me like normal people. Mm-hmm. This family feels like, and part of it's the fact that, I mean, again, the thing that John Krasinski has built his entire career on is like he's he's very handsome, but he also really just looks like a normal dude. Like he is just a normal dude. Yeah, I would say. Wait, did he did he get jacked for something recently? Uh, he's kind of buff on Jack Ryan, but not super buff. Oh, maybe that's like, what he's I'm thinking like, of. He's like attainably buff on Jack Ryan. Okay. In a way that's like, you know, he's got that like slim build, so he doesn't like look as ripped as he probably actually is. I'm just, yeah, I'm just, you know, still wasting my life waiting for him to like be mr fantastic <laughs> but you know he'll he'll get that he'll get that marvel bod when the time comes well em- emily well he's got that the thing that's guess... good about him is mr fantastic's got that slim i was gonna say yeah he really is already kind of there isn't he yeah but i mean i, I don't want to get too off quiet place but emily <laughs> blunt just did the interview where she's like yeah i'm not really interested in superhero movies and the entire internet was like but what about the fantastic four <laughs> She's like, I don't care. And everyone was like, but we care so much. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Emily Blunt, we want Disney to give you millions of dollars. And she's like, I already did Mary Poppins, guys. We're good. <laughs> oh, man. That's the, one of the reasons I, I feel like, because originally the Krasinski and Emily Blunt, they were like very vocally against doing a sequel, actually. They thought like, you know, they had wrapped up the story that they wanted to tell and Krasinski was like I'll I'll never really want to direct a second one and and then Paramount said this movie made money so we will give you money I mean I think that's a big part of it I th- there's also something about how like Krasinski jo- like just kind of jokingly throwing out an idea he had for how he would open a sequel and then got like way more serious about it and just kind of evolved from there I it's that and money but I I'm glad that at least they were reluctant enough to not just jump at it right away and wait until they had an idea they wanted to make all those billions with. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely interested to see what the sequel does and if it's good. Because the trailer was kind of eh to me. I don't like how much talking there is. That's something I'm <laughs> weary of in the yeah. trailer. But I, getting back to uh, John Krasinski 
and his badassery. Because I, I mean, there are lots of things I like in, in the in this the first half of the second act of this movie. Mm. I, I like the waterfall sequence. I like her going to visit the the bridge where her brother died. But I think definitely the apex of this movie, the highlight of this movie, is the sequence where Emily Blunt's giving birth in the bathtub, John Krasinski's coming in with the shotgun, and the sun is having to go light the fireworks. And all all of those things working together with the red lights and everything, like... Oh, yeah, dude. That really is... good. I, I love that, too. So, that... Because... Especially when she lets out that big old primal scream as she's in labor once, like, the fireworks are officially... I think that's... Is that the cut to Krasinski with the shotgun in front of the fireworks is her scream? It is. Oh, I... uh, Chills. Love it. Like, I mean, that movie... I I almost said out loud when I was watching it today with my friends. I was like, this movie rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Just as an acknowledgement, like, I just got to say it out loud. This movie is very good. Because you're so in it. And, like, you know, as as a repeat viewer, I was like, yeah, she's fine. I know she's fine. But the tension is so good, and they build it up so well because you've got the... You you and I were talking before the show about the nail. Oh. And... (laughs) <laughs> my mom was like the second she got the the second even before we saw the nail the second the laundry bag was caught my mom was like no i uh. think not no <laughs> she knew it was coming she knew the mar the whole, from home alone was going to when it's going to go down the whole movie including after emily blunt steps on the nail she's like the nail guys the nail That's what- guys <laughs> <laughs> me and your mom are on the same page dude i the same thing cuz the, i there's also a moment I think, like, after, like, when they're all hiding in the basement again, where they, like, zoom in on the nail for a second, and then they zoom back out as the kids are coming down the stairs, and I was like, did I forget a second nail stab that's about to happen in this movie? But it's because she just told them to watch out for the nail. Oh, is that? Did I miss that completely? I was just, like, getting ready for another one for some reason. Or, like, the monster is going to step on it. Well, that's what my dad kept thinking. He's like, oh, is the monster going to step on the nail? And that's going to be something that gives them the advantage. Damn, I but I would have loved that. Sorry. The nail, I also like that it serves the dual purpose of Emily Blunt's foot bleeding is also the thing that may, that partially makes the bathtub so disgustingly bloody. Yeah. That Krasinski's convinced that his wife and child just got got by the sound monsters. Yeah, jeez. That is a pretty horrific scene he walks into in that bathroom, man. Oh god, sorry. I was just I'm just reliving that step onto that nail, but now the bathtub sequence is definitely the most iconic thing out of this movie other than maybe Krasinski with his with his hand in front of his face with his <laughs> yeah. Shh, because that's everywhere. Yeah, truly. There's a lot of memes about this movie when it came out. Oh my god, I'm just I'm remembering. I remember the um when the Mary Poppins trailer came out and they the side-by-side comparison of Emily Blunt in the bathtub in this movie and Emily Blunt um, falling into the, like, whimsical bathtub in Mary <laughs> Poppins. Oh, that's great. Oh, God. God, yeah, that bathtub thing is truly messed up. Just all the great angles, too, in that sequence of the monsters. We, we've barely even talked about how crazy and cool these monsters are designed in this movie. They're so well designed, and they've got a lot of similarities to other. They're 
there's definitely a monster look that has been popular for like 15 years and it, it started with cloverfield yes it did and it got i'm like super eight and stranger things and the other cloverfield movies and i'm sure there are other examples i'm forgetting all have this very connective DNA, I think. And this movie is no different, but I feel like the monsters in this movie have so much more... In- I mean, not to say that there wasn't work put into the designs of the creatures in the other movies. I'm not knocking that. But I feel like there's so much more intentionality about, oh, you know, here's how their limbs are shaped because this is how they would have to be shaped if you couldn't see. And the way that their heads kind of like splinter off into a million different things because it, it shapes how they're able to hear. Yeah, man. Just the, so like you were saying, the attention to those details. I remember reading about how they designed this as if it were a humanoid creature that had evolved over whatever millions of years to not need eyes. And like you said, the way their head is shaped to, to create those like weird channels for the sound vibrations. is just entirely unique. And it's just when they do those close ups of the heads, just splitting open like that. It's, it's, it's so interesting just how that's all designed there is obviously not the creature design but also there's so much jurassic park in this movie oh yes i i know what you mean especially uh, the two sequences that really come to mind are emily blunt hiding in the basement uh behind the the water heater when she's oh, got yes. the timer going off mm-hmm. and a sequence we haven't talked about yet which is also another one of those images that's just so clear in my head the kids in the corn silo yeah dude oh my god that is what a horrific situation to yeah be in. what just a like... nightmare oh drowning in corn kernels just suffocating in a quicksand pit of corn and the with the door it's just so i mean it's so good it's like but it's, and it's got those huge jurassic park it reminds me a lot of that jurassic park kitchen scene yes you know? absolutely man i mean i would love to talk about the famous Krasinski scream at the end that's it it definitely I remember it being so powerful when I saw it in the theaters like whoa this is like really Krasinski like hitting it hard but when I watched it this time I kind of laughed I wasn't expecting his voice to sound like that yeah I compared it to like a (laughs) I almost compared it to like a Ray Romano like but obviously (laughs) obviously more serious than that in this (laughs) instance but that was where i feel like it was coming from in the throat you know i again i think with you knowing it's coming it just you can see the cracks a little bit more yeah i guess that feels a little silly you're not as in it as you are the first time where you're like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen you know (laughs) yeah that's true also i did not remember how like beat up he is before that in my head he like completely sacrificed his life oh no he was like already dead pretty much i think injured yeah he's like fully bleeding bleeding out yeah that's still still a powerful sacrifice you know absolutely and i think i mean it's it it was sad in my head both the kids saw him say i love you and it is a very powerful thing that it's like between the the father and daughter Mm -hmm. but also i'm like like kid look at your dad like he's about to die bro like, yeah yeah maybe he should have been privy to that too but yeah you, you don't want to you don't really want to see your dad get just like chopped in half by a big monster claw i love the setup of the pickup that's you, you see him practicing at the beginning and yeah. the fact that you see 
at the end, they've set it up to be a quick getaway. Yeah, wow. That is that is definitely good writing right there for sure. That's that's good stuff. I also, you yeah, know, there's a sorry. I was just gonna say with that and to a couple of other things like you were saying, you start to see the cracks. Like you know, a car would maybe make some noise going down, even if it wasn't on. But I still think it was like a really cool idea, especially for that quick getaway. There's a lot of really effective writing beats in this movie. I mean, the nail is being the most obvious, like, Chekhov's gun in here. Mm -hmm. But you've got the, like, you've got to make a noise that's louder at the river, and then later again with the fireworks, and the entire sequence with the baby in their, their coffin cradle. Oh, God. What an existence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and the flooding oh man that i forgot about the flooding sequence like completely oh, forgot god about yeah it. dude it's rough it is everybody's having the worst time in this in this movie when that creature comes out out of the water right in oh. front of emily blunt my mom was like oh my. <laughs> i forgot just, just how horrifying it was to see it like slither into the water like that and Oh, truly wonderful. Truly wonderful. I'd love to see a little bit more exploration in the sequel of how those creatures operate. Like, it went underwater intentionally. I'm assuming it can't breathe underwater. So does it, like, does it have some advantage being underwater? Does it, is it just the fact that it was walking on all fours and that it, you know? Yeah. There's some, there's some interesting questions that still need to be answered. Really, we do get this lovely exposition dump with all the newspapers and the charts and Krasinski's whiteboard about like, what is their weakness? The (laughs) (laughs) The infamous whiteboard. And uh, it's bad. Like we've been pretty complimentary of this movie. The the whiteboard's bad. It's bad. <laughs> like it's pretty funny. The the headline on the newspaper that just says it's sound or whatever. Like they're listening. Like that. I'm I'm an evil alien. You're on with an evil alien. I'm listening. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. They could they could do be they could have been a little more tactful, but I guess they didn't really plan on a sequel anyway, so they were just trying to be like we're going to give them such a clear and baseline like explanation for why any of this is happening so we just can chalk it up to they're aliens and they can hear sound well and I don't know. I think the thing is I think the opening establishes that so well you almost don't need the whiteboard yeah that's fair they thought people were really gonna not pick up on it man they they need to lay it all out as simply as possible in multicolored markers i do understand in filmmaking that you know you need to treat your audience that like they're stupid a lot of the time especially when you're making like a blockbuster like mm. this but i just it could have been executed better even just like what is their weakness is such a like, <laughs> what if you a newspaper article that says researchers still unsure if monsters could be killed or if monsters have weakness or whatever like literally anything i i actually think there was a newspaper that was just like a picture of a soldier being killed by one and the headline was just invulnerable question mark which is pretty much what you need right (laughs) yeah um they have a little bit of like starship troopersy to them with the way their little bug claws oh yeah how they're kind of like pincery in a way they've got like strange uh joints in weird places but yeah i mean overall this movie's pretty killer 
I'd say. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I I had a really good time with this one again. Uh, they could have they could have just tossed in a Tagruado logo in one of those newspapers and just called it a Cloverfield Day. And I'm I'm very glad that they didn't, and that it is standing on its own merit. Uh, now its own franchise instead of kind of adopted into a different one so i'm i'm glad i'm glad it made it to that point and i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing what this new one is like me too i mean i'm a little i'm a little cautious but <laughs> i think this is such a clean horror movie i i have gotten really taken of late with modern smart horror films like that is something that i'm really enjoying the la- the last couple of years i think ready or not is an example of a film that's kind mm-hmm. of a similar to this one where it it doesn't have like high artistic ambition but it's a very well written well executed i mean thrill ride is cliche but accurate <laughs> it truly know? is it is a thrill ride it, because it's almost like a exercise for me in a way of like oh, it's so interesting to see the way that this movie sets up and pays off this stuff. Yeah, man. It's it's def- it's so, it's incredibly impressive just being able to see that stuff happen in real time. Have that have those callbacks come to such a satisfying fruition in the in when they do come back up. It's it's all incredibly pleasant. I I don't know what else to say. I I I'm curious to see how how the baby fares in Quiet Place 2 because Oh god. <laughs> I is as far as I am aware that they're they lost the crypt cradle in the in the flood. Oh god, yeah, I guess they would have that whole thing uh, just a last aside. That baby's going to be more messed up than any other human being who has ever lived. They're going to live in a box for most of their life and they're going to emerge to sound monsters. It's it's not going to be good. Uh maybe Maybe Millicent Simmons and her hearing aids are gonna save the world, Seamus. You don't know. Oh yeah, they'll they'll Mitchells versus the machines it and just like plug it into the mainframe of the aliens. Wait, are we ready to sound off on our pop culture reference, Seamus? Let's do it, Garrett. In honor of the very sound-centric film, A Quiet Place, that we did for our main segment, our pop culture reference this week is the art of Foley sound recording in in film. So yeah, basically Foley is the act of taking a pre-existing piece of footage and putting sound over it, like making sound in time with the recorded film to make it seem like it's the sound from the movie. Uh, before the advent of non-linear editing software, this technique was used a lot in old Hollywood to supplement film with uh, as many sound effects as needed in a separate studio and it really is its own art form like the term is fully artist because it's such a complicated understanding you have to have of the way sound works because the things that are making sounds in real life are not the things that they're trying to replicate on screen the vast majority of the time and it requires such precise timing because most of the time they're doing multiple sound effects in one go. It's not like you're just going like, and then you put that in the entire point of Foley is kind of getting that timing exactly right. I remember when I was a kid, they had a movie making exhibit at the museum of science and industry in Chicago. And we went, and the thing I really remember so clearly is they had, they had like three, Foley items set up in front of this Jackie Chan 
clip. Oh, that's great. He slides over a windshield, and to make the, the windshield noise, you, like, dragged a window cleaner on a trash can lid. That was the of going across the windshield that is very fun oh man yeah honestly i i in film school and film studies i've definitely learned a good amount about foley and seen like there's like great documentaries and like documentary series about like what it is to be a foley artist and like the history of it and it is you can look up footage of like modern foley studios and like the classic old hollywood foley artist studios and it is legitimately some of the most impressive and like it's so cool to see what they actually use to make all these super familiar noises it's 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 a hoot yeah definitely go check out videos of old foley recording it's definitely worth your time if you have any kind of interest in this stuff at all and i'm sure something like a quiet place where there's it's such heavy sound design would have a lot of opportunities for foley artists to get in there because you think about them walking on the sand, them setting things down, them rolling the dice on the on the blanket, you know. That's all stuff that has to be very carefully recorded and probably isn't even the same stuff that you're seeing on screen making those noises. Yeah, I, de- I second the recommendation. Just YouTube, easy to find these videos. It is It is definitely worth your time just to see what it's like. Yeah, I think that wraps us up. I think I can't believe, honestly, we hadn't done this as a pop culture reference before, but it's a really smart one. Shout out to my dad for the idea. But Seamus, should we save the rec center? Let's save the rec center. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, I know that you are you are chomping at the bit to get your video game wreck out that you kind of teased me a little bit before. Yeah, uh, I uh, you might have actually even done uh, one or both of these games as a rec center in the past, but just these past couple days, I replayed both Portal One and Portal Two for the first time in a while, and I gotta say, man, it's I don't have to convince you because you already know it's some of the best video gaming I can think of. Truly a joy to play. Great humor in the writing. GLaDOS is such a such a jerk. It's it's absolutely lovely. Uh just the it I've been doing a lot of shooter, a lot of zombie, a lot of you know, just big kill fighting all this very violent and kind of samey feeling video gaming so it's it's always just really nice to go back to that classic puzzle solving you know don't have to worry about combat really at all it's it's just the best it is such a beautiful streamlined puzzle game because it really i mean portal 2 introduces a lot of stuff but it is especially the first one such a small amount of mechanics used in mind-blowing ways yeah absolutely i i i surprise myself every time i replay that first one specifically because i i've probably played portal 2 20 times through since i i got it in like high school or whatever whenever it came out and replaying that original og portal is like you said the simplicity and the complexity from that simplicity is just 
it's it's hard to comprehend until you you're just you're having fun playing it. So I I can almost guarantee that it will be on sale on Steam no matter when you listen to this episode because it is always <laughs> dirt cheap. So please go go play it if you haven't. It's it's the best. It really is fantastic. One of my favorite games ever. Portal 2 specifically is so good. You mentioned the humor of Portal 2 and that it's something that's so funny that cannot be replicated in any other medium, I don't think. The the exchanges with Wheatley and GLaDOS and the the omnipotent voice of Cave Johnson oh. slowly descending into <laughs> madness. Just the best. It it truly it's like Tron I remember in middle school my friend Billy had played Portal 2 and kept like playing the Cave Johnson bits to me and I was like, I don't understand what's going on, Billy, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um this isn't funny, okay? <laughs> and then on his recommendation, I picked up I had my Xbox three sixty at the time. And just just a revelation of it all clicked. I thought it was so funny. I I really don't think that its humor style has ever been replicated in any other medium. And it's also one of the best puzzle games ever. Like, just everything you want. And, you know, there's a co-op mode that I know very little about. Garrett, maybe we need to hop on a co-op. I've, I've really never explored that side of that game, and I think that could be a lot of fun. I think maybe they finally shut down the PS3 servers, which is Damn heartbreaking. Damn it, never mind. <laughs> so I think we'd have to do it on Steam. Oh, or a remaster but... one day, or Portal 3, or something. Oh, Not I... holding my breath. I would really... If they would do a Valve Classics for PS4, PS5, Xbox oh, God. One, whatever... An Orange Box just... remaster? I mean, if you could just give me the two Half-Life games and the two Portal games that I could play on a next-gen system, I don't even need them to look better. I don't, like, literally just straight-up port them over. I don't care. That would be more than perfect, truly. There are those rumors going around that Gabe Newell said something cryptic about Valve and consoles having some kind of relationship in the future, and so I'm hoping that means that we're getting some old Valve games on new consoles. That's what I'm... A lot of people are like, Steam coming to console? Like, they're crazy. But... <laughs> yeah, that is a little insane to think, but, you know, porting Half-Life Alex onto PSVR, I wouldn't shake a stick at, you know? I need I need something. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, I, we are going off on such a portal valve tangent. Garrett, what do you got for the rec center this week? Well, in honor of the late Charles Grodin, Seamus, I think I have to rec center one of his classics and you know I, I i juggled a lot here because i think he's really great in dave but it's not really his movie and i think he's really great in muppets take manhattan but i don't think that's like an easily accessible muppet title even though he is a stell he's the best muppet villain <laughs> i'm looking at you doc hopper oh doc hopper's so good though but, no i i don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I love Doc Hopper. But I I mentioned it up top. It's been one of my favorite films for a long time. I've not seen it in years, but it is, it is now streaming on Stars. If you have access to a Stars account, I highly recommend it. Check it out from your local library. 
the movie Heart and Souls. Robert Downey Jr. is a child who, is, well, he's not a child. Robert Downey <laughs> Jr. is not playing the child, but Robert Downey Jr. is a grown-up of a child who has been tethered to four ghosts his entire life. And the ghosts are... And the ghosts tethered to RDJ all have a purpose that's keeping them tethered to the earth, you know. Classic ghost Charles, style. Yeah, for sure. Like, classic stuff. And it, it's a comedy. This sounds really bleak and weird. But it's, it's, it's a rom-com, essentially. And... Charles Grodin is one of the ghosts, and he is a performer who never got over his stage fright and never could audition and never could go for and chase his dream because he was too self-conscious. And I'm he's such a presence, and he is so believable in that role. And I remember... I really, truly was probably eight. You asked me at the top of the show how old I was. I just remember being devastated by the opening of that movie where you see how afraid he is to go out and audition, but how badly he wants to perform. And it just, it devastated me, Seamus. He's such a good actor. He had such a good performance in that film. And again, Charles Grodin is an underrated actor with a absolutely amazing lineup of underrated films so go check out this underrated film heart and souls absolutely dude honestly when you told that story up top i had no idea what that movie was about and you describing it just now as a four ghosts tethered to a young boy it's not what i expected you to be weeping as a child about but as you describe it that sounds like genuinely very sad backstory for this ghost and i i would like Everything you said about this movie really makes me want to go see it, especially Grodin up there, of course. Well, I really highly recommend it, Seamus. Also, I want to amend something that I said a minute ago, that Muppet Caper is streaming on Disney+. Plus. I completely oh. forgot that the Muppets were on Disney+. Plus. So, Great Muppet Caper, that's, that's not my rec center. I'm not <laughs> trying to cheat in a second rec center, that, but it is streaming on Disney+, Plus, just that, so everybody knows. And yeah. it is very good, just so everybody knows. It's just a shout out. It's not an official rec center. But I think that's that. That's gonna wrap us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Reach us on Instagram at that same handle. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail dot com and like us on Facebook. Next week we're keeping it spooky, and the week after we're keeping it spooky because we've got the Conjuring movies coming up. Conjuring one and two next week, leading up to. The HBO Max release concurrently with theaters of The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. And, you know, I've not seen the first Conjuring, Seamus, so I'm a little I'm a little anxious about it. Oh, man, I, I thoroughly enjoy those first two Conjuring movies. And despite the stupid title of the third one, I'm I'm excited to see what that one's all about, too. So I'm 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 glad we're getting real spooky just as it's getting getting hot and summery out. Oh, it's it's sweltering, Shane. <laughs> Honestly, it's good we're doing this as a nighttime record because if I couldn't if I couldn't have my fan on during the day, I don't know what I'd be. Doing. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that I am I am in my closet. I am very sweaty just sitting here. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're done with this episode, Seamus. You get 
You get out, get some fresh air, get some get some water, my boy. I shall, I shall. All right. See you next week, everybody. Adios, amigos.